We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Uh, I have to apologize for, for starting late, 6.03 already. Uh, I'm actually sneaking into my office here at, at Loyola. I was at a, a janazah for, for one of my teachers and then I had to find Wi-Fi. And so I did the last class from the Loyola garage. And I decided, well, let's, let's get ambitious and just sneak into the office itself. So here I am. So if, if somebody suddenly grabs me, just uh, assume all is well, but I might have to call somebody for bail. Anyway, having said that, let's jump right into, into the material. So the goal of the class is, is over the course of these next 30 or so days to explore Surah Al-Fatiha and Surah Al-Baqarah. So right now in Chicago, this is the six o'clock class at the five o'clock class. We did Al-Fatiha, we're doing Al-Fatiha plus Ali Imran. Now, we're not going to go through all of Al-Baqarah. Uh, if we can make it all the way up to Ayah 39, then that would be good because that's a good stopping point. So what I'm saying is that those of you who have not taken my classes before know that I focus much, much more on quality rather than quantity because I want you to get concepts deep down solidified in, in your thinking as opposed to just consuming knowledge, consuming knowledge, consuming knowledge. So those of you who are here for the five o'clock class, today, this six o'clock session is gonna be almost 100% repeat of, of what that was. So if you're here for a second time, you know, stick around. So <clears throat> those of you who are here, think about what your approach is to learning, what your intention is in terms of learning, not just why you're here, but in terms of Islamic learning in general. And a way to think about this is that, think of three levels. One level will be the people who are here essentially for some, some good quality, pious consumption of knowledge. Okay. And this is a point many of you who know me well, uh, this is a point that I rail against quite a bit, that most of the process of learning in our community right now, and, and right now I'm saying it probably began about 20 years ago, uh, the focus has been just consumption of knowledge, consumption of knowledge, consumption of knowledge. But it doesn't translate very much into action. And so, so if it translates not into action, then effectively it's pious entertainment. Meaning if you had the choice of listening to a Quranic lecture versus, you know, you know, watching something that's inappropriate, obviously this is better. But a way to test yourself is compare yourself today with a year ago, including whatever learning you've done in the past year, whatever religious learning you've done in the past year. If any, if the answer is zero, then that's fine. But whatever, if you have read books related to Islam, if you have taken courses related to Islam, if you've listened to lectures, are you the same person essentially as you were before you began those classes? And so, so the point here is that better than taking the road of entertainment learning, consumption learning, is to take the road of sticking with the course, trying to get whatever gems of understanding you can that will translate at the very least into difference of thinking, but better than that, a change in action. So for example, if you do this whole course with me and by the end of the month, you find yourself saying alhamdulillah more, then the course was a success. The goal is transformation, even if it is small. 
So that's level two. Level two is to do some, some, some basic learning. Another example of that is that you could read through a whole translation of the Quran and feel the satisfaction that, okay, I've completed the whole translation. But then ask yourself, has it resulted in a change in you? And this is a point I didn't make in the five o'clock class. For, so those of you who are in the six o'clock class, uh, actually, you will get a benefit that uh, Al-Fatiha will be teaching twice. So the second time around is usually going to be better because I'll think of other things I forgot for the five o'clock people. So, so we have two metaphors in the Quran. What is in, one is in Surah Al-Jum'ah, which is around Surah 62, somewhere around there. And the other is Surah Al-Adiyat, which is around Surah number 107, 104, somewhere around there. And these are, there's two metaphors in these surahs. In the first one, in Surah Al-Jumma, we have the donkey carrying books. In Surah Al-Adiyat, we have the thoroughbred racehorse. And what is the metaphor of the donkey carrying books? It's that, what does a donkey do? A donkey just goes in whatever direction it wants. You're gonna to try to steer it back to get it on its path. But if you let it go, it's gonna turn right. If it gets attracted to something, it's going to it's going to chase after it. I mean, the first night I was in Cairo, I was walking through through the the, the streets, and then I noticed this donkey staring at me, and he starts licking my elbow. And as I walk away, he starts chasing after me. And as I go faster, he gets faster, right? And so maybe my elbow tastes good to donkeys. But anyway, the point here is that a donkey goes whichever way it's go it's going, because like the owner of the donkey is trying to steer it away. But then you have the thoroughbred racehorse who has the jockey riding the racehorse. And if the jockey tells the racehorse to go faster and faster, the horse will. The horse is not going to think, you know, not today, man. No, the horse is just going to keep going faster and faster, even at the risk of getting a heart attack, even with getting a heart attack. And so the metaphor of the first one, the donkey carrying books, is the donkey that contains all this knowledge and it results in zero change in action. What Islamic knowledge should give you is a closer relationship with God that translates into action. And what is the ideal situation that whatever Allah tells me to do, I do without even thinking. That's Al-Adiyat. Surah Al-Adiyat is all about that. Because then it contrasts it with people who are ungrateful. And so the point I'm saying is that a third level First level is just, you're just consuming knowledge. If that's your if that's your goal here, stay with us. Second is people who are just looking for some gems and then maybe you'll apply them. Maybe they'll result in some actions. If that's your intention, stay here, you know, keep, stay with us. Third level is when you're actually diving into the text and really, really trying to embody it, really trying to live it. And that's why we're focusing only on a small amount. And, and so that is the path of transformation to the point that even the prophet, peace be upon him, there's a narration where he is saying, I mean, to all these du'as that he is hearing and then he's laughing and he's being asked, why are you laughing? He's, it's, and it's not like a, a laughter of ha ha ha. It's, it's the absurdity of someone who makes it all the way through Ramadan, does all their fasts and they don't change very much. So as we are entering this month, for some of us, it's literally going to start in, in a little over an hour. Uh, as we are entering this month, in fact, some of us might have already begun, um, go in with the intention of transformation. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to walk in to Ramadan named Omar Muzaffar and you're going to leave changing your name to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Okay, it doesn't mean something like that, right? But 
you want to be able to identify changes and most of that has to be targeted. It's not like I fasted now suddenly, hey, now I'm a completely different person, there's light beaming out of my forehead. You also wanna make this targeted. And so thus our target uh, as the learning process is Al-Fatiha and then uh, the beginnings of Al-Baqarah, slowly, carefully. So that's the first part. Is just how to approach the, the, the class itself. Second part is, uh, let's see, okay, 17, 736 is asking, could you repeat the levels? Yeah, sure. So level one is you're just consuming knowledge for essentially pious entertainment, and that's fantastic, and inshallah, you'll get benefit. Level two is you're going for some gems of learning, some, some nuggets of learning to add to your repertoire of knowledge, and that's great. Level three is our goal is to change your reality, is transformation. Let me know if that makes sense. By the way, for all of you, feel free to interrupt with questions at any point. And um, in some cases, I'll answer right away. In other cases, I'll defer to a little bit later, either in the day or in, in the month. In some uh, questions, I might say it's outside the bounds of the class. We can discuss in a separate situation. Okay. So that's the first point is about just the approach of learning. Second point, how does the Quran work? So... I said that much of our approach to knowledge is consumption of knowledge, and much of our consumption of Islamic knowledge is focused on fiqh, is focused on Islamic law. Okay. Second most would be in the realm of theology and such. But what am I saying here? Most of it is learning, what am I allowed to do, what am I not allowed to do? In fact, a couple of days ago, um, as part of an IAW, I gave a whole lecture on contrasting and comparing a scientific, scientistic approach with an Islamic approach to reality. And there I mentioned, Okay, most of our approach to studying, to learning about Islam is, am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to do that? It's basically fiqh questions. Some of them might be real. Some of them might be hypothetical. Like, okay, can we do stem cell research, even if I have no stem cell related issues? Uh, which is good, but I'm suggesting the amount of fiqh you actually need to know is, a, is barely a page. Okay. And these are things we'll discuss over the course of, of, of this month. But... When I gave this talk, I gave this whole lecture making this point. And then the, uh, one of the students asked, okay, so I hear the Johnson Johnson vaccine is made from fetal cells, am I allowed to use it? Okay. And I thought, okay, you kind of missed the whole point of my talk, man. That's, uh, you know, it's fine that you're asking this question, but the point is, what is the, the Quran actually focused on? The Quran is actually focused not on telling you what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. The Quran is focused on teaching you how does reality operate. And this is something most of us might not really actually think about. But the easiest way to understand this is when you think of sci-fi literature, sci-fi movies, fantasy movies, part of the story is to say, here's how reality really operates. So whether we're talking about Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, uh, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, DC, et cetera, et cetera. They're all saying, here's how reality operates, and here's a story in that operation reality. So reality operates this way, where you have all these muggles that are just living their lives, working and such, but then what they don't realize is that there's this whole realm of the unseen, of magic and wizards, and there's this massive uh, battle that risks destroying the entire Earth, and the muggles don't even know what's going on. That's what Harry Potter is saying, right? So what I'm saying is if you understand that point, that sci-fi literature, part of it is telling you how reality operates. Now you're understanding how almost every scripture operates. 
that the Quran is telling you here is how reality operates. The Bible is telling you here is how reality operates. And so are the Buddhist texts or so the Hindu texts. That's what they are all doing. The difference between scripture and sci-fi, however, is scripture is then giving you prescriptions. Here's how reality operates. Therefore, here's how to navigate that reality. Now, as an idea, it's a cool idea. But it's hard to translate that from concept into action. But that's one of going to be one of our goals through the course of this month. To at least get a taste of what I'm talking about here. That when the Sahaba were being given the Quran, when the Prophet, peace be upon him, is narrating the Quran to them, on the one hand, it's the most beautiful words they've ever heard from the most beautiful man that anyone has ever seen. Yeah. And all of that is true. But as you know, most of the Quran in Mecca was not instructions. Like they said, we learned Iman before we learned Islam. The prophet is saying, here's how reality actually works compared to how you've been taught. The easiest point all of you understand is that we're saying that when you die, things are not over. But now here, let me, let me put it into perspective. You've all heard the narrations, whether it's from the Quran itself or elsewhere, that when the day of judgment begins, that, you know, that people are going to be in shock. Like, what's going on? To the point that everyone's hair is going to turn white from fear. And a pregnant mother is going to immediately unload her baby out of fear and not care. Yeah. So now imagine yourself as, the, as that person. Imagine that that's a narration about you. Yeah. That you are going to wake up someday in the near future. Yeah. Totally disoriented because the world is going through this cataclysm. And you're not going to have any idea what's going on. So when you're looking at the different characters in the Quran, what's similar to what we see in fiction, and a lot of times we don't realize, is that you're looking at each character as a dimension of yourself. And so when you see those depictions, think of that as you. That that person might be you tomorrow. Because I mentioned uh, I was at a janazah this afternoon. Okay. That is this teacher of mine who uh, his next consciousness might be waking up in that moment in that personality. Okay, so what we're saying here, so this first lesson is the first part of the, of the, of the class is just how to approach the class. Second part, now we're talking about how scripture operate. Scripture is saying, here's how reality works. The big stuff, all of you already know that you're in this world for, for a test and then you're gonna die and then you're gonna be assessed on the day of judgment with the result being heaven or hell. No matter how much you don't wanna think about it, it's gonna happen. No matter how much you do wanna think about it, it's gonna happen. No escape. Yeah. That it is easier for me to fly um, you know, above the ground here than it is for me to escape the day of judgment. Yeah. That part you already know. What we're gonna do is get into the micro points. Uh, related to that, as we find in Al-Fatiha in the beginning of, of uh, Al-Baqarah. So having said that, <clears throat> to help really place everything, to place knowledge itself, I'm going to walk you through a diagram that if I had my little board here, in fact, well, I didn't bring my pen. Oh, well, let me see. No, no, okay. Uh, we got about a little over 10 minutes. Let, let me try to describe it all to you. Okay. 
So I'm going to give you a number of columns. First column is going to be the basic Islamic sciences. Basic Islamic sciences, there are nine Islamic sciences that you can put into three categories. Each one goes into one of these three categories. One is the primary sources. Category two would be the practical sciences. And then category three is the abstract sciences. And if I'm ever going too fast, uh, by all means, tell me to slow down and repeat. And if you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, don't worry. Um, at first, there's just going to be a lot of a lot of info. Okay. Read the so, third science, please. So the first sciences are the primary sources, and we have three in there, and then we have the practical sciences, and we have three in there, and then we have the abstract sciences, and we have three in there. So in the primary sources. It's the study of Arabic, the study of the Quran, and the study of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So the study of the Arabic would be Arabic grammar, Arabic morphology, you know, rhetoric, all those things. You don't need to know the subcategories. It's good, it's good to just know the nine. And then the study of the Quran includes the whole sciences of the history of the Quran, the revelation of the Quran, the commentary of seers on the Quran. You know, it's funny, I keep looking left and right because, like I said, I'm you know, I'm sneaking in here to teach the dean. Okay, so, so the second is the Quran, the third is the prophet, the study of the prophet with emphasis on the hadith and the sunnah. We might put sita here, but you're going to see sita is going to be in a different category. So the hadith literature would be the compilations of narrations of anything he said, anything he did, anything he seemed to witness, giving approval. That's the Hadith literature, not the same as the Sunnah. The Sunnah is the living practice that gets handed down from generation to generation to generation. So primary sources is the Arabic, the Quran, and the Prophet. Second category of knowledge are the practical sciences, which is Islamic law, Number two, purification. And number three, character and manners. So Islamic law, if you want the term, it's sharia. And the understanding of sharia is called fiqh. Again, um, as is relevant, we'll discuss these more. And then, so we said Islamic law, purification, the most common term is tazkiyah. And then the third category is character and manners. So what's common among all these? They're all focused on action. The whole religion is so much focused on action before purification or before purification of the heart. Okay, so that's the second category, practical sciences. Third category is the abstract sciences. Abstract sciences include theology, uh, philosophy, and history. So a question I received as a direct message, is this paradigm one I've organized or is it from somewhere? Assume pretty much 100% of everything I'm teaching I've stolen from other sources. 
The problem is that I've taught these courses over and over again, as you can tell, not, I'm not boasting, I'm not using notes, just I've taught them over and over again, that uh, for a lot of these, I've even forgotten my sources. I want to say um, this idea came from Osman Bakar, B-A-K-A-R, who writes a lot about, about epistemology in the history of Islamic sciences, I believe. Yeah. How does purification differ from manners? Okay, good question. Purification, so manners in character, is character is basically you speak the truth, you keep your promises, you keep your trusts, right? You speak the truth even if it's bitter. Manners is sometimes it's better to be polite. Or if you're hosting someone, you know, you honor them this way or that way. So that would be the realm of manners. Purification is that all right, you have this hypocrisy in your heart. So to help get rid of the hypocrisy you need to uh, increase your prayers. Make sense? Okay. Does the study of the companions fall within the study of the sunnah or maybe fiqh? Uh, it, study, it falls uh, primarily in sirah, but sometimes we might look at the fatawa of the sahaba, the rulings of the companions, and that would be in the realm of fiqh. So let me know if that answers your question, Michelle. So it's not so much the study of the companions, it's what are we specifically studying about the companions? Okay, so the third category is the abstract sciences. And so theology, that which we call theology in English actually is three categories. One is aqida, uh, one is called usuluddin, and one is kalam. So aqida, usul, and then we have Kalam. So Aqidah, we commonly translate as creed. And what is it in practice? That which binds you in Islam. Meaning, if I believe the Shahada, if I believe La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, if I believe that there's no God but God, Muhammad is the messenger of God, what else do I need to believe? I need to believe that there's angels. I need to believe there's a day of judgment. Right? So a small list of other things I need to believe. That's in the realm of Aqidah. So what is Aqidah actually? It's trying to identify what is concrete in the unseen according to our primary sources. So our primary sources speak over and over again about the Day of Judgment, but the Shahada doesn't mention the Day of Judgment. No God but God, Muhammad's messenger of God. So Aqidah means you also have, it includes belief in the Day of Judgment. So that's a short list of things. And by short, I mean, <laughs> there's levels which we'll get into as we, as we go through, through the material, inshallah. So that's Aqidah. Usuluddin <coughs> literally is translated as the roots of the religion. This is focused on the philosophical underpinnings, meaning how does this thing that we call Islam all work together, or does it all work together? So this is much more philosophical and what we would call speculative. Okay, so, you know, how does this relationship with God and the angels and creation work? So one of the points we're going to discuss later when we get into angels will be that one of the functions of angels is to literally operate reality. When I'm inside the world, I see things as magnetic forces, electromagnetic forces as gravity and such. If it was possible for me to get to the other side of the veil, it's angels that are operating everything. Meaning in this world, a raindrop is falling because of gravity. 
If I'm looking through the other side, through the lens of reality, it's angels that are moving every single raindrop. Okay. But then how does it all fit together? This is usul al-din. Okay. Even questions like how do we reconcile free will and predestination, we find it here. Or how do you have good and evil? You know, all kinds of philosophical questions within the umbrella of religion. Kalam is our answers to their questions. And what I mean by that, Usul al-Din is trying to answer questions that are coming from within, the, uh, from within Islam, within Muslims. Kalam is trying to answer questions that other people are asking. So, for example, one of the big questions of the day is evolution. Okay, does evolution happen? Does it not happen? And everybody in this room probably has an opinion on it. Okay. Some are probably saying yes, some are probably saying no, some are probably saying yes, but not Darwinian. Other people are saying no because of XYZ. But that issue is not coming from within us. It's coming from within Christianity. Why? Because what does it say right there at the beginning of the Bible? God made man in his image. So then if we're saying that God is half a step away from a monkey because of evolution, what does that say about God? Yeah, that's potentially blasphemy. But then you get into the debate, well, what if the actual text is God made man in his image? I don't know if you all can see the chat box. Change it to a lowercase h. Changes the meaning completely. Or the word that is being translated as image. Instead, what if you change that to vision? And that changes everything as well. But the point is, that's not a question coming from within Islam. It's coming from outside. But because it is such a dominant question, Muslims are also looking for an answer. So this would be in the realm of kalam. Our answers to their questions. And this is something that didn't begin today. This is something that's been going on for over a thousand years. Okay, so those are the theology. And then philosophy is basically everything that is speculative thinking that's not in theology. So you'll, you'll find all kinds of, of philosophical books on what is the nature of a king or how should a government be run from a philosophical perspective, stuff like that, okay, that's philosophy. And then, of course, you know, what are the relationships between deeds and, and the cosmos, all that stuff, all of that might be more absolutely. And then the third is history. Why is history an abstract science? Because history is not telling you to do anything. You might be inspired to do things by studying history. You might get a better sense of your world today by studying history, but it's not telling you to do anything. And so I can study the history of the prophet, peace be upon him. We call that Sira. The history of the prophet we call Sira. And is it giving me any instructions? No. But I might get ideas on how to do things. And then there's a whole subcategory called Fekha Sira, which is getting more and more popular. It's about 50 years old. Or no, now it's probably about 70 years old as a science. Okay. So these are the Islamic sciences. Primary sources, practical sciences, abstract sciences. There are others, but these are the big nine. But all of them trace themselves back, as you know, to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. So column one is the sciences. So if you were to draw column two, it's the Prophet and the Quran. Column one, everything is coming from there, from column two. But then everything in column two, the prophet of the Quran, specifically, you can trace to surahs two and three. 
al-Baqarah and Ali Imran. And then the roots of al-Baqarah and Ali Imran, so now, so that's column three. Column four is al-Fatiha, the first surah. First column, the Islamic sciences. Second column, the Prophet and the Quran. Third sciences, peace be upon him, uh, surahs two and three. Fourth column is surah one. So what am I saying? The better I know surah one, I automatically will know surah two and three better. The better I know surah two and three, the better I will know the rest of the Quran and the Prophet better. And the better I know the Prophet and the Quran, peace be upon him, the better I'm automatically going to start knowing the traditions, the sciences. But then it gets more interesting. Anybody uh, see if you're paying attention, what column is Al-Fatiha? What column number? Four, correct. Good job, Afnan. You've saved the entire class from an epic failure. Okay, so Al-Fatiha traces itself back to the first line. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which we call the Basmala. And the Basmala traces itself back to the Ba at the beginning of Basmala, of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So imagine these are like rays. You have Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and the ray of light that's coming from it, or you have Ba and the ray of light that's coming from it is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And the ray of light that's coming from Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is the rest of Al-Fatiha. And the ray of light that is coming from Al-Fatiha are surahs two and three. And the ray of light that's coming from surahs two and three is the rest of the Prophet and the Quran, peace be upon him. And the ray of light that's coming from that are the entire Islamic sciences. Okay. So now they're saying I got a little lost with the column. So column one, is the Islamic sciences, of which there are three categories. Okay, column two, what they trace themselves back to is the Prophet and the Quran. Column three, is the Prophet and the Quran trace themselves back to the, the Surahs two and three. Column four, they trace themselves back to Al-Fatiha. Column five, Al-Fatiha traces itself back to Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And column six, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim traces itself back to the Ba. Make sense? Tomorrow, inshallah, if I remember, I'll draw it all out so it makes a little bit more sense. So hopefully I'm not confusing you all with my these drawings that are, that are in my head. Okay, but what is the overall point to make here is that the center, and this is the fundamental lesson for today, the central concept to understand is this concept of the B. This gets traced back to Ali, you know, uh, Imam Ali, karamallahu wajhahu, that <clears throat> the foundation of it all is the Ba. And what does the Ba mean in Bismillah? In or with, right? In the name of Allah, with the name of Allah. And what is it addressing? It's addressing connection. And if you understand this one concept, you understand one of the central points of the entirety of the Islamic tradition, one of the central concepts of all of reality, that it all comes down to connections. And so with whom are we trying to connect? We're trying to connect to Allah Ta'ala. We're trying to connect to the Prophet, peace be upon him. We're trying to connect with other people. We're trying to even connect with nature. And we're even trying to connect with ourselves. So even if you think of Salah, the word that we use for namaz, the, the five daily prayers, the daily prayers, 
What does Salah mean? It means connection. You're trying to connect to Allah in your prayers. In the model of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the prayer times you know by nature, I mean, unless you're looking at your iPhone. And then on top of that, you have uh, an ideal prayer is done in congregation. And the central aspect is connected to yourself. And so those of you who asked for homework, so this is not an obligation to all of you, but those of you who asked for homework, your homework assignment for today is to list out your 25 primary human relationships. That's step one of the homework. Step two of the homework is to categorize them according to proximity to you. So imagine circles, concentric circles. At the center will be your closest relationships. So like for me, it'd be my daughters, my parents, probably my sisters, sister's family. And then after that might be friends, the closest friends, and the friends that are not as close, so far and so on. So identify your 25 closest friends, rank them in terms of proximity. And then the most important part, evaluate what do you need to do to improve those relationships? If you feel like I do everything and no one does anything, you probably actually need a lot of improving to do. And, and so for those of you who asked for homework, I will, I will, uh, um, I'll keep giving homework assignments, but especially if you really want to make use of them, then talk to me offline after class. Uh, so uh, I'm getting the, quite, the question, can you repeat the five connections in Salah again? Yeah. And these are essentially your five core connections. This is uh, your connection with Allah, with the Prophet, peace be upon him, with the world, i.e. nature. That's how you know the prayer times. Your connection with other people, because the ideal prayer is done with other people. And an ideal prayer is actually done for other people. Like even like we're taught that if you pray for your, your fellow Muslim, it's automatically answered. And number fifth is yourself. I mean, think of a simple example. You know, when I'm making dua, think of what I'm doing here. So I'm holding a mirror up to my heart and speaking of whatever is in my heart. Or if I'm making my dua like this, I'm basically asking, yeah, Allah, please give me. Right. Okay. So what is the central point of the central lesson of today? Everything is all about connection. So all of these Islamic ideas and sciences are all connected with roots. And then, and then from there, the core concept of today is, as Khurram just typed, relationship. That so much, uh, I, so I mentioned one complaint that so much of Islamic learning is focused on Islamic law. And I think most of that is not really a good use of your time. I mean, unless it's actually going to be practical. Uh, more often, the better uh, the element is um, focused on learning what is the appropriate conduct of relationships. To the point that who was it? I want to say it was Imam Malik uh, or a student of Imam Malik. No, it was Imam Malik, I believe, who, who said that I studied for 18 years. Uh, I studied for 20 years with this one sheikh. And for the first 18 years, all I learned was adab. And for the last two years, I learned, I learned uh, law. 
And he says, I wish I learned Adab for the entire 20 years. Adab meaning manners. How do you conduct yourself with people? Because what did the Prophet say, peace be upon him? I did not come except to perfect character. Okay, so the central lesson, if you remember only one point from today's lesson, is that reality is all about connections and relationships. And that is where you find most of your Islam. Okay, having said that, any other questions about anything else? No questions? I have completely absorbed all your brains. You're mesmerized with, with this wonderful material, inshallah. I have a question. Yes, wherever this voice is coming from. Who's speaking? Uh, Nader. Nader, yes, sir. Um, so uh, I get how you traced everything back to um, Baqarah and Fatiha. Um, I'm wondering how, so like, I don't know, if I were to try to approach learning the Quran, I would probably go to like the small Meccan surahs at the end of the Quran. Is it okay. that Baqarah and Fatiha give us like, how, how do they compare in terms of painting this picture of reality, I guess? I'm, I'm assuming. Okay, got it, got it. So if you focused only on the final surahs, then that is sufficient, right? Because the final surahs are what the Prophet received in Mecca. The hard part, especially if you're raised as Muslim, is there's a whole bunch of unlearning that has to happen. And, and so if we go through al-hakm with the kafir, okay, rivalry, you know, and the acquiring, the acquiring of, of great wealth is going to distract you until the end of time, you're going to interpret that according to, uh, according to just the competition we fall into of just owning more. Okay. And that is definitely there, right? Uh, but then what else is being said here? That part of human nature is always being attracted to things. And part of human nature is you're always going to be attracted to the material things. And you naturally want more of the material. But whatever you put yourself in the company of, you will fall in love with. Right? This is what I always tell my MSA students. Right? When you have two people are spending time together, I tell them biology is stronger than rationality. You are going to develop feelings for each other. And that I'm speaking from the first line of that surah. See what I'm saying? So I'm saying the hard part of studying the small surahs when you raise Muslim is, is that you already have this fixed understanding of how reality works. You know, or even think of Surah Lahab. So, you know, how do we commonly teach it, right? Okay, here's Abu Lahab, and, and you know, he was a really cranky man, and you know, he started shouting when the Prophet was speaking publicly. And so then the Prophet you know, responds to him. He says to the Prophet, okay, may your hands perish, which is like saying go to hell. The prophet responds as such. But deeper, what is the point we're being, we're being taught here, beyond the story of Abu Lahab, that there are times where you have to speak truth to power. right? Because Abu Lahab was one of the leaders of Mecca. He was a caretaker of the keys of, of, of the idols of the Kaaba. But then when you get even deeper, what else is interesting? Why is he called Abu Lahab? Because he has this horribly bad temper to the point that his face always looked angry. The father of the flame, which is a metaphor we have in English as well. And then what is the whole surah basically saying? If you cannot control your temper, it doesn't matter what you've accomplished in life. You're doomed. And then a warning to the family, don't be a wood carrier. Because then you're going to get destroyed as well. See what I'm saying? And so, so I'm saying absolutely approach the Quran from any surah. 
But what the advantage of those first surahs give is because they're so big, uh, you almost have to get uh, immersed deeply into them. But if I have someone who's a new student, then I usually start them with the last surahs just to you know, get at least the foundational ideas. There's dunya, there's akhira, so on and so on. We're trying to go a step deeper than that, inshallah. Got it. Thank you. Absolutely. Any other questions? One challenge is how to carry yourself in terms of character and being truthful or upright. We'll see. We'll see, you know, uh, when and how it approaches, uh, how it becomes relevant when we go through these surahs, inshallah. So. Yeah. And the, the question is that, you know, the connection of Salah. Um, yeah. If you go for the sequence, then after Allah and Prophet is the self should be the right uh, logical order? Uh, I'd say the... The order is not as important. Obviously, Allah would be first. Obviously, the Prophet would be second. And what if we say the other three are all at the same level? Okay. See what I'm saying? So I'm saying I would agree with you. You know, the reason why I'm saying the connection to the self is last is just, you know, in terms of uh, nature itself in our culture, we tend to not pay attention to it except because of the green movement and such. You know. But what if you didn't have the fifth one? What if you didn't have a connection to the self? Are you going to have a connection to Allah Ta'ala? No. So it's hard to put it in a ranking by order. Any other questions about anything else? And if I also, if I overlook your questions in the chat box, let me feel free to just repeat. No other questions? Okay, so the goal is for the class to run officially from 6 to 6.30, or 6 uh, to 6.30, maybe to 6.40, and occasionally like today, we, we go later. But as soon as, you know, I keep looking at the clock, as soon as we get to around 25 or something, then in my mind, I start winding down a lesson. And, and so I also don't want the class to be too long. I want it to be a nice, simple dose. And usually I'll say, all right, if you get just one thing from today's class, it should be this. And so the one thing from today's class specifically is that the essence of Islam is relationships. And the essence of reality is relationships as well, connection. All right, uh, so we'll touch base inshallah tomorrow. Hopefully I'll be much more settled and not looking around as though I'm a criminal, you know, teaching Islamic Jesuit school, which is what I do professionally anyway. Hey, subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika. Praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastafiruka, we seek your forgiveness. And we turn to you. May Allah reward you all, and inshallah, we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and Ramadan Mubarak for whoever is starting in the next few minutes. Wassalamu alaikum.